River Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where Jesus is Lord, and we are hosting a move of God in Alabama. Tonight, we're ministering the Word of God. It'll change your life. It'll turn everything around. You don't even know what the upgrade is until the Word gets a hold of you. And we're ministering on reasons that anyone can believe. Reasons anyone can believe, specifically why we know the Bible is true. Now, I want to uh, turn to John chapter 8. We always turn to John chapter 8. And I'm going to move lightning fast tonight, y'all. <laughs> ah, you know that can't be right. But we are going to move along. Hallelujah. We got lots of... John chapter 8, verse 32. The Lord Jesus himself. It's read in my Bible. It's special in everybody's. He said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He didn't say that, uh, that, uh, you, that the truth will make you free specifically. It's the truth you know that'll make you free. Because it hurts your feelings. It offends you. I've done it many a time where I could put my Bible on the floor and stand on it and stomp around on it. And it is black ink on white, white paper. And that's all it is until you put it in here. And when you put it in here, it becomes life. It's living. And it changes everything when it comes in here. But there's lots of people got lots of Bibles in their house and they're not changed at all. He said, the truth that you know will set you free. So what's our job? To be free. To be as free as he is. It's to know the truth. Not what you heard, but what you know. So that's what we're doing right now. And I want to tell I want to preface this. I should have said it at the beginning, but I want to get this on record because you may be tempted. Listen, listen, you may be tempted to be weary and well doing before I finish this little this little session uh, of sessions. And you go, dear Lord, we believe. Well, you think you do. We all think we know something until we don't. Uh, this is not an inspirational message, so don't compare this to like a Sunday morning or things in the past or anything. It's not an inspirational message. It is a foundational core that will save your life. Other things will encourage your life, and you'll, you'll make an adjustment, and you should. You should hear things and say, wow, I, I could have been doing that and did better. But this is the core. This is Bible basics. This is heaven's kingdom being imparted into us. And it may seem tedious, but if you were in the other land that did not have this, it would be uh, apples of silver in settings of gold. It would be so powerful to you to know these truths that I'm about to bring to you. So we're going to, we're going to belabor them. We're going to go through every one of them. And in the tedium, as it were, that you sit there or you're listening online, and you go, well, dear Lord, you know, give it up, Michael. It's, we've heard that. We believe that. Move on. In that tedium, it's going to impact you. It's not, have you ever read a, a book and there was a scripture in there that you knew and you just went, skipped that and went to the paragraph after? I'm famous for that because I already know that scripture. But you don't know that scripture. It's supposed to be painted on over and over because like a barn in the sunshine, it fades. And it's got to be repainted. And so uh, it would, if you just have inspiration, inspiration will not defend you against the lie. And it will not bring you victory. Inspiration will wither. Listen to me. But truth, this is, 
We're in the school of heaven's truth tonight. I'm going to bring things to you over this night tonight and the next weeks, if we can, that will uh, be heaven's truth. And without it, you cannot represent heaven to men on earth. I'm not, did I say that this is important and that we need to stay alert and stay, stay attentive? Because even though you might have 95% of the truth, it's that little screen door in the submarine that takes it to the bottom. We got to have it all. We got to be so convinced in here that we're almost like, please, Michael, give it up and let's move on. There's nine other things. And we're just going and I've been tempted. I've been tempted to say, you know, but it's not just the people in this room that have heard it for years. It's it's we're, we're setting this down for posterity for a long time. We're going to set it down so people can hear it. We have uh, on our Web page what we believe River Church believes and it is tedious. It is explicit. It is detailed. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they get through it. But those tenets of faith, those truths, if you believe them and embrace them, they will hold you steady and you will not only defend your life against the the uh, the, the wiles of the devil, but you will take the victory every time. Because these things make you, in Ephesians 6, having done all to stand, you stand therefore. And it's not that you can stand a little while. You have to stand to the end. If you give up right before it happens, it's like you never began. Matter of fact, you'll, you'll hate the defeat more than you would if you never engaged it. So this is a school of heaven's truth. Now, here's the skeptic's challenge. If you're a skeptic out there, and we'll just assume all of us have got, we're pretty much in, but, you know, there's some things we've heard, or one time we ran over it this way, or somebody said, and we're like, you know, I believe it, but, you know, I don't, I don't understand all of it. We're going to fix that. The skeptic's challenge is that hundreds of fulfilled, fulfilled and completed prophecies could have occurred without divine intervention. How could that be? How could any prophecy occur without divine intervention? It could not. And we're, go we're, gonna, we're gonna prove it. We, we're, we're doing some of that tonight. Uh, number two, that we're, we're gonna prove to the skeptics that the historical accuracy in the Bible is exact and the same as secular accounts. No discrepancy. People that don't know God don't want to know God. They dig it up. They, they get it out of the tomb, whatever. And it always verifies the Bible. Uh, number three, that the Bible is 100% historically accurate. Archaeologically accurate, excuse me. Archaeologically accurate. Uh, number five, whatever that was, that Bible numerics. You're going to enjoy Bible numerics. Uh, that they, the, the skeptics say they occurred on their own. We're going to show they could not occur their own. Uh, we're going to show to the skeptics that the reality of after-death experiences concur with other after-death experiences without collaboration and line up with the Bible. People that didn't even know that was in the Bible. Uh, number seven, that re the skeptics would say uh, that recorded miracles were uh, completely natural. Every miracle in here had to be completely natural. Every miracle in here was supernatural.
Number eight, uh, we're going to prove or show that governing, that the governing principles of the word of God uh, overlap the very best secular and scientific axioms. For instance, the world used to be thought to be flat. And you go, how could think that? Oh, they're still thinking that. Even though we're orbiting the earth and because and you can see the horizon and all that, they say, nah, it's still flat. Uh, uh, number nine, that martyrs were mistaken in their convictions. That's what they'll say. They were just mistaken. And that life changes in, in marriage and business and, and government were all natural changes. That's what the skeptics were say, would say. We're going to show, we're going to dismiss all of that. We're going to, and I can't do it all. I can't take, I can't be exhaustive, but I am going to be detailed in that. Praise God. So all these things I just read, all 10 of them, if they all were to be lumped together and you put them that not only did one of them, historical accuracy, archaeological accuracy, um, all of that, his, all of that, you say if each one was proven to be true, that would be amazing. But what are the, the chances that all 10 of these were everyone explicitly true? Well, the chance of that would be one in 25 million or more. That would be very conservative. It'd be more than that. And I told you last week that the chance of being struck by lightning in America is one in a million, which that tells you there's 320 million people, uh, 320 people or so struck by lightning. But it, it makes it 10 times more likely that you'll be struck by lightning than the Bible's not true. Amen? So uh, consider this. We've talked about this before, but let's just put it out there. about Because we're, we're looking at the integrity of the Bible, reasons that everyone can believe. And just, just uh, remember this, that we say, among our own uh, cultural standards, we say... We all believe this. If a man's word is no good, equals the man's no good. We, we consent to that, don't we? Say, if you lie to me, <laughs> just once. You just lie to me once. Well, why would we take that off of God? So, so God knows that. And so if we reapply that, because it came from him, if God's word is no good, anywhere, Anywhere, in any detail or any, any uh, account, if his word is no good, then we would say God is no good. And I just mean by no good, useless, not essential, not necessary for our lives. Uh, in John 20, I'm going to just read this to you. It's in verse 29. I'll just, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So to anyone that's a skeptic, I say pay attention. I say run the references. I say look it up just like I looked it up. Go and find commentaries. Go and find uh, 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 facts uh, in scientific journals. We're going to look at a lot of things that are pretty detailed. And I have thousands of scientific things that prove the earth could not exist and that we as people on the earth could not exist if things were just marginally different. If the nitrogen and the oxygen ratio was just, it's 78 and 22 basically, and if it was anything different by a percent or two, 
we could not exist. We could not live here. If we were just a few more miles closer or further from the sun, uh, we could not exist. If we, there's a particular place in the Milky Way that the earth, uh, that the, excuse me, that our solar system is in, that because of where it is, it is able to exist, whereas if it was somewhere else, it would not. I know that sounds hokey, but I'll prove it. I'll show it to you. And you know I'm not a scientist. You know I'm not an archaeologist. So I just look it up just like anyone else can look it up. It's not personal. It's not something that I have contrived to advance. This is what I believe, so I want to be sure in my belief. Because you will be contested. You will be affronted by people, skeptics that say, well, what about this? And you need to have an answer. I need to have an answer for all of them. You, if you can't put your, if you can't give them the exact answer, you can know enough to say that's not true. Instead of being blown away by something they say and go, well, I, I just don't need, I didn't know that. That does sound right, what you just said. You need to already have it in the pocket. This, that's not true. It's gonna, this is going to save our lives, yeah. uh, literally. So, uh, uh, Number one, prophecies in the Bible. Let's look and see if prophecies in the Bible are 100% accurate just as they were told. Because we talked about last week how a false prophet is someone that tells something for God and it's not true. It doesn't come to pass. So we're going to look at three areas of prophetic accuracy. First of all, historical. Things that uh, prophets got up like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Obadiah. And they said, thus saith the Lord, na 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 is going to happen. And then we find out that that's exactly what happened, either by other references in Scripture that came by a different author or a different time or secular. We're going to look at Messianic Scriptures. What was prophesied about the Lord Jesus? And did it come to pass? Because he was prophesied way before anybody had a clue. You know, but the people that was there didn't even understand it. And then then we're thirdly going to look at Jesus's own words. He said many things. He said, you know, tear down this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. What does that mean? But it came to pass exactly. You know, the Bible is the only book in the world that prophesies or predicts the future. And it's because only God knows the future. He wrote it by the hand of 40 men over 1500 to 2000 years. And it's absolutely a masterpiece that man, even sitting down in this day, could not write knowing the library of knowledge that it encompasses. And yet this was written over a long period of time. Um, let me just give you some examples of some historical accuracies. You can write them down and look them up yourself, just like I did. Uh, I looked up these in a commentary. Uh, Isaiah 7, 8 that says, uh, for instance, this is a for instance, I've got two, four, I got four of them, but I, there's, there was a tub more. In Isaiah 7, 8, it says, Within three score and five years, that'd be 65 years, shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. So from whenever Isaiah prophesied this, he said, 65 years, this place won't even be there. Well, I looked commentary, said the land of Ephraim was occupied by heathen settlers, and the few who were left behind were melted up with those into the mixed race people of the Samaritans and those in captivity were lost among the heathen. This was done to Ephraim by Irshadon as related in the historical books and we get exactly 65 years from the second year of the reign of Ahaz to the termination of Ephraim's existence as a nation. Exact. 
in Isaiah 16, 14, the prophet said, within three years, the glory of Moab shall be condemned with all that great multitude and the remnant shall be very small and feeble. Well, I looked that up and the commentary said, well, the Assyrians came down on uh, Moab and fulfilled the word exactly as said and according to, and they quoted archaeologists and historians. Isaiah 23, 15. Isaiah prophesied in that day that Tyre, T-Y-R-E, that city, shall be forgotten 70 years. So I wrote down that the Babylonian dynasty, that was Nebuchadnezzar, his son, and then the third one was, of course, his grandson, ruled for exactly 70 years. And the commentary said that... Uh, that Tyre at that point was was as forgotten as a harlot. Then Isaiah 38, 5 says, Isaiah said, I've heard thy prayer. I've seen thy tears. Oh, this is about uh, Hezekiah. Y'all remember Hezekiah? And behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. And the story goes on. You ought to read this. This is in Isaiah 38. Where, where uh, the Lord asking, do you want me to set the sundial backwards or forwards? And uh, Hezekiah said, well, it wouldn't be a hard thing to go forward because it always goes forward. Set it back. And it was a sign. It says, uh, uh, the sick man Hezekiah turned his face towards the wall. He wept aloud because it was a dreadful thing to have to die without an heir to the throne. That was the main rub to him. He was childless. Uh, in the full strength of his manhood, he was 39 years old and with the nation so unsettled. So his legacy was on the line. The prospect is now mercifully changed. Verse eight says, I will deliver this city. Talking about the Assyrians and the, the Assyrians never did besiege Babylonia again. And Hezekiah had a son. He was a rotten little punk, they say. They said he, he turned to terrible gods and all that sort of stuff. So here's four historical prophecies that historically we can see that they were just as the prophet said. So go look at a bunch more, but that's just four that I picked out because it was easiest to say. Let's talk about prophecies of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, not by, but of the Lord Jesus. Um, you know, there was only one specific season that those prophecies would work. It had to be before Jesus was born. And it had to be in the time frame and in the place and by the elements that it was. It wasn't just like, well, there was a man walking around and he was the Messiah. There was so many details to his birth predicted that it had to be precise and it had to be in a narrow frame. Uh, Daniel prophesied over 400 years before the birth of Jesus that there would be a, 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 a timeline of weeks and he said there would be, uh, what do you say, 70 weeks. Y'all remember 70 weeks? Well, 70 weeks, a week is seven years. So it was 70 weeks of seven. So it was 490 years. That, uh, that, uh, and, and Jesus came exactly in that time frame. Uh, Jesus' birth, I didn't look these up, fulfilled 44 specific prophecies. And then there's 40 others in prophesying his crucifixion. And his resurrection. And all of these things add up to the, the, the 
probability of immense odds that they could not be fulfilled naturally. Now, you know, I can't go into all of them. You know that, but, but you know, but let's look at one. Uh, Isaiah 17, 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you all know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Do you know Jesus is not Emmanuel anymore? He's God in us. So he changed. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says, that uh, talking about David being born of the lineage of David, the King David, because God promised David that uh, the government would be come out of his line. And David, you know, he well, anyway, you know, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So this was prophesied and said that Jesus would come this way and through this line. And, you know, Mary, his mother, was in that line uh, and specifically, you know, they could all trace their heritage back a long time. I can trace mine back three generations. How about you? <laughs> well, they went back. They, they knew if it was, if it was uh, Reuben or Simeon or Benjamin, they knew all, you know, what tribe they were in. Micah, this is the one that says that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughters of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod, they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Right there, Bethlehem. It's a Palestinian city now. It's, I mean, it's ruled by Palestinians. Isaiah 40, verse 3 through 5 says he shall be talks about he's being preceded by a forerunner. John the Baptist. It says, uh, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be real, revealed and all flesh will, shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So it's talking about John. And there he was, Elizabeth, who was old, conceived John. And uh, yay. Zechariah 9 talks about, you know, there's just gobs of these. I'm just hitting these high ones. Zechariah 9 in verse 9 says that, uh, talks about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We won't read that. Uh, if you go on to chapter 12, verse 10, it talks about his side being pierced. Well, we know that's true, don't we? That Jesus' side was pierced. Back to Isaiah in 53, it says specifically in that prophecy that he will be killed with the wicked ones. Well, we know there was two thieves on either side of him and, uh, and, that, uh, he was, uh, and that he was buried in a rich man's tomb. It talks about that too uh, in that prophecy. So, you know, you may need more if you're a skeptic and you say that's not enough. But the probability of any one of these being true, hundreds, 
hundreds of years before it happened is evidence right there that's pretty overwhelming. But that all of them were provable, <laughs> make it astounding, and that, that it matches the historical prophecies. There you go again. It's overwhelming. And then we're going to talk about just for a moment the prophecies by the Lord Jesus. There was historical, the, and then there's prophecies of the birth and life of Jesus, and then there's things that the Lord Jesus said himself. Did they come to pass? Um, Let's start in uh, uh, John sixteen thirty three. Of course, I'll read them. You don't have to. You don't have to look them up. If, we know this scripture, John sixteen thirty three. He says, uh, "These things I have spoken unto you." So you have to look up in the verses above and see what things did Jesus speak to them. And he talked to them about the end times, and and he talked to them about who they were who he was and what he would do. He says, these things I've spoken to you that in me ye might have peace. So he prophesied a hard thing, but said by knowing it, you'll have peace. Family, we have peace knowing these things. We're in the roughest times the world's ever seen or about to be. And of course, the tribulation will be worse than that. But who's got, who's got peace here? We all got peace. We're, I mean, we're just as happy as we can be, even though, even though the world's losing its mind. And so uh, uh, the first prophecy is in Matthew 26, where he talks about uh, the woman that came and took the 300 denarii oil of an ointment. And Judas got upset and said, this could have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. The Lord Jesus said, for when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Prophetic. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached to the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Well, we're talking about it tonight. It's a memorial to her. She Judas thought she messed up and Jesus thought she did the best thing. Uh, this is another prophecy. It's in chapter 26, verse 21 of Matthew. Talking about Judas and how he was betrayed the Lord. It says, I say to you that one of you shall betray me. So he prophesied that in Luke 22:47. It says Judas approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? He was the one in uh, number four, Matthew 26. We're still there. Uh, he, he prophesied that the disciples would run out on him uh, in Matthew 26, 31. It says this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. And in verse 56, it says, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Go, this is getting redundant. Yeah, 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 we get it. We get it. That's what we would say. We get it. We're going to keep going. <laughs> Chapter 26 uh, talks about Peter in the same light. It says, Peter replied, even if all fall away on the count of you, I will never, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then in Matthew 26, verse 74, just down there, it says, he swore to them. I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word that the Lord Jesus had spoken. Uh, Matthew, going back to Matthew 16 now. How uh, the word he prophesied, excuse me, he prophesied 
that uh, these things would happen in Jerusalem. And uh, it says that the Lord Jesus said, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. Jerusalem. Luke 22, 63 says they began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. Well, I've left out the part that talks about. Uh, oh, this is where the elder, excuse me, wrong context. This is where he suffered many things of those, the accusers. So he did. Uh, number seven. Can I go on? Uh, this is the one. I got it mixed up. This is the one where everything happened in Jerusalem. Uh, in Matthew 16, 21, he, he, he uh, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and scribes and be killed. So he prophesied he would be crucified in Jerusalem. In Mark 15, verse 40, it says, These women, talking about the women that uh, it's in... Uh, John chapter 8, I think. These women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were, were also there. So he prophesied where it would happen. Um, number 8, Matthew 26. The Lord Jesus prophesied that the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So he prophesied he, the form of death that he would go under. You know, it was not necessarily that, but at the last minute, Pilate gave him up and, uh, and said, what do you want me to do with him? And they said, crucify him, and he let him go. Mark 15 says it was the third hour when they crucified him. So he predicted it, and so it came to pass. Number nine, Matthew 26, verse two. Uh, Jesus prophesied that all of this would happen during the week of Passover. It says, two days is the Passover. He said, the Lord Jesus said, two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And in John 19, verse 14, it says, it was the day of preparation of Passover week. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Are y'all overwhelmed yet? Are y'all convinced? Number 10, <laughs> Jesus predicted that he would rise from the dead in three days. In John 2, verse 18, it says, destroy this temple in three days, and in three days I will raise it up. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised up from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. But in Matthew 28, it says of him, when they looked for him in the tomb on the third day, he is not here, but he is risen. So he said three days. It was three days. In another place, he talked about Jonah. He said, as three, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the bowels of the earth. Number 11, uh, Jesus predicted or prophesied that the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed 40 years before it was actually destroyed. It took 40 years. And in Luke 19, 43, it says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you surround you and close in on you in every side and level you and your children with you to the ground. And we know that in 40 years, uh, that's exactly what happened. They came in and, and, and Jerusalem was under heathen rule 
from that time until they became a nation in 1948. No, excuse me. Jerusalem was not liberated until 1976. The Six-Day War. Okay, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Jesus predicted the nation of Israel would be dominated for a long period of time by Gentile people until 1948. In Luke 21, he said, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles in until the time of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. So we know, like I said, 1948 for Israel became a nation. What a miracle that was. If you read the history of that, it is just more than amazing. And then in 1967, when Israel was attacked, uh, supernatural forces. I'd love to tell you the stories about it. I, I, I'm wanting to order a video about it. It is amazing how whole big tanks, uh, battalions or whatever they call them of tanks, uh, saw visions of uh, supernatural beings in front of them. And they all got up and left their tanks. And there was one wounded tank there the whole time. And stuff like that. Just amazing. Uh, number 13. Uh, though, uh, though scattered and persecuted, Jesus prophesied that the Jewish people would never be annihilated. They would never perish. He said that in Luke 21 where he says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles in time, until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So it's the same thing. They're still going. As a matter of fact, they're going strong. We've looked at it before and we won't look at it here. But if you, if you take all the nations and the Nobel Prizes for everything since Nobel. When did, when did Nobel crank this up? Or 1900, 1890, something like that. So it's been handed out every year since a long time ago, Israel has more Nobel Prizes than any other nations. And then if you just want to get real, real, the Palestinians have two. I think it's two. And both of them were conferred on leaders for peace. One of them being uh, Anwar Sadat. So they, they didn't have scientific stuff. They didn't have engineering and innovative and space things. That was their, that was their Nobel Prizes. But Israel... God's blessing them. They're just all over. So there's the prophetic side of the Bible. Now, you think that's not enough. I want more. Oh, they, I would have wore you out if I'd have given you much more. There is way more uh, historical. And we'll get into some of that when we get into archaeology uh, and history. But here's the, here's the reasons anyone can believe why we know the Bible is true. And let's just go over them. Uh, prophetic accuracy, both historical, messianic, and the words of Jesus. Uh, historical affirmation by secular scholars. They dig it up, they find a tablet, they, they, they read their stuff, and they find out that the Bible confer, concurs. Archaeological affirmation, that's by digging stuff up. You know what archaeologists do. They like to dig in the dirt and they, they dig stuff out and it always comes in line. Now, here's what I know everybody's thinking. I heard about this or that and that they've proven that this or that wasn't true. There are lots of arguments and there's lots of uh, uh, conflicts, so to be, so it were. 
Not everything is just like so obvious, but in every case, if you lean unbiased, if you're not trying to prove the Bible is a fake, or even if you're not trying to prove it, it's, it's true no matter what it says, you'll always fall on the side of the Bible. If you're, if you're unbiased, if you're, if you're innocent. Uh, number, f- number next is uh, scientific accuracy. And I always like to talk about the three times that the Old Testament talks about the earth being round. And in 1600 and something, Galileo was, I think it was Galileo, was severely persecuted for going against the Catholic Church with that theory that the, that the world was not flat. Uh, numerics, way beyond what anybody could secularly design uh, numerics. I don't know if they have a computer that can do it now, but certainly this is ancient things. Uh, relationships, business, and government, where there's wisdom that uh, the Bible has imparted that has changed the way we live and the lives we conduct. Uh, testimonies of people, like I said, returning from uh, death experiences and corroborating what other people that had not talked to them and saying, well, that's what happened to me, exactly, and then lining up with the Bible. Uh, Testimonies of uh, people just saying, when I got born again, I got my life changed. It changed everything. And you don't hear this from other faiths, Uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslims. You don't hear this. They'll say, I like the fellowship. I like the, the order. They'll say there's lots of things. But the transformative thing is always uh, a part or identified with the Christian faith. And uh, lastly, and this is one of my favorite, the testimony of nature's complexity demands a creator um, or what we'd call a, uh, uh, a design. And then even the maintenance of that creation. I'm always looking around at things that are so perfect just how fruits and vegetables are and the vitamins they have. I mean, that's just a way outlier. But you just go, how could you? And then you look at the stars, and uh, the Bible tells you how many stars there are. tells you how many sands in the sea there are. It's like, who, who, who could know that? It's in there. It tells us how many angels have been created uh, to the nearest billion. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know, Joe and Mike and Greg or whatever. Uh, it demands a creator. And it, uh, the maintenance of this intelligent design has to be answered all the time. Why are we making discoveries apart from, from uh, evolution that are changing our lives? Well, it's because these things are already in order. They're already, the foundation blocks are already laid. And there's nothing that's in chaos except what the devil is interfered with, but not naturally speaking. So, yay. I know you go, that was arduous, but I'm convinced. I don't know if you are, but I'm convinced that the Bible is true. And if we don't go any further, I'd say that's pretty overwhelming. The prophetic tenet speaks for itself. Nothing else could have done it. Nothing... If you say, well, some alien could have come down. And I I promise you, you can go online and you can see where they say, it's all alien and everything. Well, but you can't get your faith around what might have been or could have been or whatever, what you think. This is the truth. This is professed to be so and then proven to be so. 
Amen. Thank you for joining us tonight at River Church. We'll be back on Sunday at around 1030, 1045. Just whenever we get there, tune in. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs>